Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash Radio Free New England. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Today is November 18th, 2012, and this is Radio Free New England with Chris Merritt. What we've also found is that the actual food at the meal is just part of what that whole meal is about. Coming up, an interview with Mary Zwolinski, Executive Director of Wayside Food Programs in Portland, Maine, talking about hunger and Thanksgiving. Eric Messick asks, what would happen if we didn't have access to water in the snail's path? And tomorrow night, Radio Free New England presents a special, standalone, Next American Experiment. You're listening to Radio Free New England, the sound of your community. Welcome back to The Snail's Path, a commentary on conservation here on Radio Free New England. My name is Eric Messick. Thanks for listening. This week's question is for those with indoor plumbing. I'm sure there are some who choose to live without it, but those folks are typically making a choice in New England. So for those of you with indoor running water, have you ever lost running water for a length of time? Have you ever not been able to flush the toilet for a week? How about not being able to shower or wash the dishes for a time? If you have, How did it affect your existence? Think about those who live without clean water. There are millions of folks who live this way daily in the world, and if we are not careful, we could be living this way in the not-too-distant future. Why am I pontificating on this this week? Well, in the last few weeks, I have lost hot water pressure in my kitchen. This has been quite an experience. One might assume that this is not a big deal, but think of all that it is affected. Are you used to putting your dishes in the dishwasher? Well, forget that. You'll have to wash all those dishes by hand. Don't dismiss this if you don't do it now. It is amazing how many dishes even one person creates in a day. Don't forget the time that it will take to wash them either. What are you doing for the next 30 plus minutes? Forget about that. Ever wash dishes with only cold water? Let me tell you, at about the five minute mark, this becomes rather unpleasant. Do you enjoy washing your hands in warm water? Forget it. Remember, no hot water means no warm water. As we see the temperature begin to dive in New England, It might be nice to have some hot water, but forget it, there isn't any. These are some of the thoughts about not having hot water in my kitchen. Now, to be honest, the experience perhaps is not as dire or drastic as I make it sound, but it is only a small sample of what our lives could be like without running water. So as we move forward, we should start to consider our water use as well as what we might be doing to our environment to deplete our fresh water sources. Let's return for a moment to washing the dishes. As you may have gathered, I am used to washing dishes in a dishwasher. So really, I'm not used to washing dishes at all, some would say. In fact, I haven't washed dishes by hand in many years. After coming to the realization that I was going to have to do this, I realized that I was ill-equipped. 
You see, you can't wash dishes by hand with the same detergent you put in the dishwasher. Thus I set off to the grocery for a whole new experience, buying dish soap. Where is this stuff? How much do I need? What brand is good? How much is this stuff going to cost? Oh, and what are the people around me thinking as I discuss all this with myself as I stand in the aisle? Wow, there are a lot of choices. For crying out loud, it's dish soap. As I looked at all the fancy colored bottles with big words on them, one stood out. Berkeley Green. It is clear container and clear liquid. I picked a bottle up and began to read. First off, the company supports an organization that works to find a cure for breast cancer, certainly a worthy cause. Reading on, I see that it is all natural, baby bottle safe for all you parents out there, non-toxic, and for those of you like me who cook with oil and grease, it releases grease as well. This is looking fine, I thought. As for the ingredients, this product consists of 100% plant-based cleaning agents and water. Yeah, 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 I thought to myself. But what about the cost? Well, it turns out it is less expensive than the other brands, so I brought a bottle home. Upon embarking on the adventure of dishwashing, I have found that it does a great job, not just after one test, but after many, many, many tests. So as we part ways for this week, Keep in mind the fresh water you are using and what it would be like not to have it. And if you happen to need dish soap, give Berkeley Green a shot. Well, that's it for this week's rendition of The Snail's Path. Thanks for coming along. I hope you come back next week to see where the path leads. You're listening. You're listening. You are listening to Radio Free. Radio Free. Radio Free. Radio Free New England. This Thursday marks the American holiday of Thanksgiving. It's a time when most Americans indulge in copious amounts of turkey, potatoes, veggies, stuffings, and pies. However, this year, more American families than ever may not have the resources to celebrate with us. The U.S. government reports that one in seven American households is food insecure this year. That figure includes 3.9 million families with children. To be sure, as the U.S. economy struggles to revive itself, Many Americans find themselves skimping on food, and too many go hungry. But all is not lost. There are many people and organizations around New England that work tirelessly to serve the hungry, through soup kitchens, meals programs, and financial support. An active nonprofit community works together to provide meals and groceries to hard-pressed individuals and families. Mary Zwolinski is one of those hard-working advocates. Mary is the executive director of Wayside Food Programs in Portland, Maine. Before becoming the executive director, Mary served as a volunteer and a member of Wayside's board of directors. Mary spoke with me this week about the work Wayside Food Programs does, providing food to people in need around Greater Portland. Wayside's mission is to um, help with hunger relief in Cumberland County, Maine. And Wayside's actually about a 26-year-old organization that started with a group of volunteers just looking at the need of their community in Portland and starting with a couple free meals every week and it escalated from there. So what we have now is um, 
community meals and food rescue. And our overall mission is to really um, provide the equitable distribution of food throughout the county, wherever it's needed, and to provide meals to people in the county where those are needed as well. What do you mean by food rescue? Food rescue is an interesting concept. I think people sometimes think of dumpster diving when I say food rescue. But what food rescue actually does, the program, uh, the people in the program, they source food from vendors, everybody from Whole Foods and Hannaford's to Cisco and um, Sodexo, Sodexo big food producers. Food that may, for whatever reason, they're either getting rid of it because they've got a glut of it, or in some cases it's something simple like um, the, there's a dents in some cans on this pallet of cans, and so it's not usable, it's not resellable. And in food rescue, would the, we'll get a call and somebody you know come and pick up the food, so we pick it up. We bring it all to our warehouse, it's sorted, and then we redistribute it. And how do you distribute that food? Do people, do families come and pick it up, or do you send it out to community uh, groups? We don't distribute it to individuals so much. We distribute it to uh, more than 40 agencies in Cumberland County, which include food pantries, other soup kitchens in the area, or other social service agencies that will either... <clears throat> excuse me, we'll either cook it or we'll distribute it then to people that they serve. You had mentioned need before as one of the, the things that Wayside really focuses on in their mission. What kind of need does exist in the Portland area? Well, there's pretty much need in Portland and across Maine. I mean, and you hear about it all the time on a national level, too. What we're finding, what we do primarily here is we serve food that's almost supplemental. So a lot of the people that we serve are people who may you know, have a home, they may have an apartment, they may even have a car, but at the end of the month after they've paid for their heating bills or their rent or whatever, there's not a lot of money left for food. And food is always a negotiable thing. You know, you can talk yourself into thinking you can eat beans and rice for weeks if you have to. Um, so what we do, the food that we have and the meals that we prepare are really meant to be somewhat supplemental for people. So that at the end of the week or at the end of the month, they just don't have enough to get over the hump. They just don't have enough food in the refrigerator to give their kids a good dinner or a good um, lunch. That's what I see as the need. And it's an interesting need because um, it may be people in your neighborhood. It may be people that have never, ever before needed help. This recession has really hit people on a deeper level. So people who could have come from good, solid, middle-class backgrounds are for the first time finding that they're needing some extra help from the government or from social service agencies. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty widespread. If they do come to Wayside and they come to the community meal, what can they expect to find in terms of food? Well, we really make an effort, and especially in the last uh, few years, to provide good nutritional food. So we're not opening cans of beef stew and heating it up for people. Um, the staff that works on the meals and the volunteers, because we do all of this with thousands of volunteer hours, really put a lot of thought into the meals. So in um, there's generally always a salad, some, some fresh stuff, salad, fruit, and then a really kind of healthy meal. You know, we've done butternut squash lasagna before and um, enchiladas with chicken and whole, whole um, wheat wraps and brown rice meatloaf. So we try to make it really, really good still. We want people to really love it, but we want to make sure that the nutritional value of it is something that's that's um, you know upgraded from your typical like let's just open a can and heat it up. No, that certainly wasn't my first idea of of a community meal. I would have thought it was more something like people donate cans, you open up cans, provide a meal. 
what's the reaction of people when they come into a community meal and they see that there's this fresh, nutritious food there for them? I think for the most part, it's really, um, people are very surprised and people are very pleased. But what we've also found is that the actual food at the meal is just part of what that whole meal is about. That when we started, uh, we originally served meals at the soup kitchen for Preble Street. And um, we weren't able to be as careful about the nutritional value or about the culture of the meal itself. Uh, we didn't have a lot of control over that. Once we started um, having meals within the neighborhoods and the communities, we found that people would come to sites that they were familiar with. They loved the food. But they also loved the community building aspect of that. So it might be people who were shut-ins or people who, for some whatever reason, you know, just didn't get out much, but were not going to go to a, and stand in a line at the soup kitchen. Either they had children or they were elderly. So the food is always impressive for people, and it's always it's generally liked. I'm sure there are some things that people don't want to have butternut macaroni and cheese, which we've had that as well. But... Um, for the most part, I think the food is just part of that whole experience, that we remember people's birthdays, that the volunteers sometimes will bring in a guitar and, or play the piano. So it's also a way to use food as community building and supporting people. Now, because of that sense of community, do you ever have people who have needed a meal before? gotten back on their feet and then come back to volunteer to continue to be part of that community? We've always had people do that ever since the very beginning and that's I think been very impressive. We've also had donors that'll say you know every now and then we'll get like a, a five dollar bill in the mail from somebody who said you know I've always taken advantage of when I needed food and now I'm able to give back a little bit. So you do find that kind of paying it forward um, aspect in in the community and that's really that's really special to us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, you had talked before about the economy affecting people's need. Uh, have you seen an, either an increase or a drop in people's awareness of the need for donations? I think there's an increase in people's awareness um, that food is a necessity, and uh, we find that we do whole we do uh, food drives at Whole Foods four times a year, for instance. And I'm always amazed at how generous people are. You know, and it's not just the ones at Whole Foods, but it's the ones we've got kids at Cape Elizabeth, you know, doing food drives. We have um, people at churches. So people are really, I'm just always impressed at how sensitive people are to the need and, and people are participating more. I think the people who can give back really do want to give back. And this is one of the ways. And I'm also seeing people get their kids involved, you know, really starting to integrate that idea that, you know, even with children, that that aspect of giving back to your community is an important part of being in a community. So uh, with the downturn, the recession, I really am seeing people kind of step up to the plate without having to be reminded about it. That's really encouraging. That's really encouraging, yeah. That's great. Uh, with Thanksgiving right around the corner, what are some of the plans that you have for the holiday season? Do you do a special meal? Um, do you see an increase in donations and volunteers? For Thanksgiving, we do a meal at the Portland Club here in Portland. Uh, it's um, in partnership with the United Way of Greater Portland, but Wayside um, sources the, um, a lot of the food. We get the volunteers. So we'll be um, cooking about 50 turkeys and serving it on Thanksgiving Day from 1130 to 1. Uh, you don't have to register. You don't have to. You can just show up. And it's, you know, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks because it's a, it's a pretty big endeavor, but we, um, we seem to be able to pull it off. We're used to cooking for hundreds, so it's not, it's not such a um, kind of a mass hysteria for us, but it's, 
We did it for the first time um, last year with the United Way as partners. And uh, again, I want to go to the people who are at the community meal. Do you notice that um, people are either cheerful around the holidays when they're at a meal like that, or do you still notice that perhaps there's a little bit of sadness? I think it's both. You know, I think that what um, people are are thankful that they do, from some of the anecdotal surveys that we do of our guests, people are happy that they have a place to go, they're happy that they feel safe, and they we actually um, register people when they first come in, and we talked a lot about whether that was a good thing or a bad thing, um, but we, we needed to do it just because we wanted to know who was coming and why they were coming. And what we found is, is that people in general are happy that we do that because they feel like they're expected at that meal. Like they're not just coming in and people are going to be like, who are you, what are you doing here? It's like, oh, nice to see you, we missed you last week. Um, so around the holidays, we, pro we see a bit of an increase in people coming out for the meals because I think that's a time where people don't want to be alone or if they've got children where they want to give their children as much normalcy as possible. But, you know, you're always going to have, that is also kind of a melancholy time for people who aren't able to celebrate. And I just think, I mean, we all get that. I get that way too. It's sort of like you have expectations about what's supposed to happen. Are there any um, special activities or anything that you do? I know that you had said that there is a real sense of community at the regular meals. Is there anything that goes on, uh, especially at the holidays? Um, it's at, not especially at the holidays. I mean, we do, we have one meal in Parkside um, on Tuesday nights, which is primarily for children and fam and their parents, but it's primarily children. And we've done craft, had people come in and do craft projects with the kids related to um, autumn or Halloween. Um, you know, I'm sure that there, are, we have volunteer groups who will be decorating for their dinners in a special way. A lot of our volunteer groups have been with us a long time, and they kind of take charge of what they're going to do at that meal. So there'll be some, I'm sure there'll be some decorations, I'm sure there'll be some music. It's an opportunity for our volunteers to really kind of step up to the plate and make a meal that's special for people. That's great. Now, you started as a volunteer, correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, what initially drove you to participate? Well, I moved here with my family in 2006 from upstate New York, and I wasn't working at the time, so I really felt like I wanted to do something I'd never done before as a volunteer, and I didn't want to volunteer doing something that I would have been paid to do somewhere else. So I had never worked in a soup kitchen, um, and that's where I started. I started working Wednesdays um, when we were still in the soup kitchen. And from that, I was asked to be on the board of directors, and I served as that on that for a while, and then served as interim executive director when the executive director left and was asked to take the position. If you can think back to that first time when you volunteered, how did you feel? The, maybe the first meal that you interacted with somebody who came to the soup kitchen? Uh, you know, I was nervous because you don't, you don't know what to expect and you don't want to do anything wrong. Um, and I was really shocked at how, um, how many people were showing up and the people that primarily came to the kitchen when we were there, and I think still do, are um, many homeless people. And you don't, you know, I've lived in big cities like Chicago and Austin, and you don't really notice, um, when you come to Portland, it's not what you would think that you're going to expect to see. It's such a boutique -y kind of city, and all of a sudden you realize that homelessness is a huge issue here as well. And there are a lot of homeless people. So I guess I had not expected that when I moved to Maine, I would, I would see that the impact of um, homelessness as 
as ferociously as I did at the kitchen. And you're right, Portland definitely does have that boutique feel, feeling. You can be down in the old port and not even consider poverty. That's right. So I guess the, the real question is, for our listeners, uh, what do you think, as somebody who, who does deal with these issues on a routine basis, still needs to be done? Do you have sort of a wish list of, of things that you'd like to see that could help tackle poverty? Well, I mean, it's, you know, without getting too political or getting into so much of that, I, I think there are lots of things that are being done right, and then there are a lot of things that are being done wrong, you know, and there are some chronic issues associated with poverty, and that's that's really difficult to, to kind of crack. I you know, I like talking about education, and I even if it's, I'm not even talking about college education. I'm, I'm talking about some really basic skills that people can learn while they're in high school, or even when they're out of high school, especially around food, how to feed your family, how to feed yourself, not to spend a lot of money, but to do it nutritionally so that you're fighting things like diabetes and obesity, all those other kind of healthcare and medical issues that end up costing everybody more money. So it would be nice to see a little bit more effort going into education so that you're kind of getting it at the front end and not having to deal with the issues surrounding it at the back end. Um, actually, just along the lines of, of, of education, I noticed uh, on your website you do mention that you have a kids' healthy snack program. Um, is that a method that you try to use to educate kids about making healthy decisions? Well, that's an interesting program because we partner with Portland's community policing centers. And... Um, I live on the West End, and I know where the community policing center is, and I know the person who runs it. So each one of the neighborhoods has one of those. And those people are fantastic. The people that run those community policing centers know every kid, every family, every issue in, in that community. And the Healthy Snacks is just a way for another way for them to interact with the kids and um, to get the kids in, to say, do you need some, you know, some snacks, do you need some juice, how about some apples? Maybe take some home to your to your brothers and sisters, um, but the food in those programs I think is a way for the people who run the centers to kind of keep connected to the kids. Absolutely. Do you see a lot of kids come back? Are there a lot of repeat children that they'll come you know, every week and make sure that they're there? Oh yeah. Well, I don't work at the policing centers, but I I'm pretty sure that they you know have seen you know every kid and that every kid comes back every week. I mean, it's just it's a nice model. I think it's a really um, nice way for the kids to stay connected to somebody in the community who can watch out for them. Well, my last question is, is there anything that you wish that I'd asked? Um, well, my website, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> waysidemaine.org, all one word. Um, so people can check it out, and if they have questions about where we serve meals, if they're looking for a meal, or if they have questions about volunteering or making a donation, everything should be there. Great, and we'll provide a link to that on our website, too. Great, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thank you very much. Please check out Wayside's webpage and find a way to support their mission in Portland or your own community. Every person deserves a quality nutritional meal that Wayside provides through its community meals program. If you live in a city or town that doesn't offer highly nutritious food to those in need, please share Wayside's story and make it happen. You'll be doing something of real value for your neighbor. We've included links to Wayside's page on our website under the Interview tab. You can also look up food pantry resources if you'd like to volunteer or if you need a meal across New England at foodpantry.org. Well, that wraps up Radio Free New England for November 18th, 2012. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to stop back tomorrow night for the next American Experiment with myself, Sean Sheehy, and Dean Tumlov. You've been listening to Radio Free New England, the sound of your community.
Radio Free New England wants to hear from you. Comment on one of our podcasts or send us an audio comment by clicking on our SoundCloud Dropbox right on our Radio Free New England com homepage. Leaving us an audio feedback is so easy. You don't even need an account. All you need is a microphone. Your built-in laptop mic is just fine. Either way, drop us a line and let us know where you stand and how you like the show. Radio Free New England, the sound of your community. Radio Free New England.